Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Thoughtful Intentions. I'm your host, Fiona Winch, and today I will be recording by myself. Um, This is the third time that I've tried to record this episode. I don't know what it is. I think I've just been a little bit scatterbrained these past few weeks, and I haven't recorded a solo episode since June, so a lot has happened, and I've just been trying to get my thoughts straight and figure out what I want to talk about um, in a cohesive storyteller manner, which is tough sometimes. Um, And I was really set to have the last version of this episode, like, ready to go, um, actually to release today on the day that I'm re-recording it because whatever. But I didn't love it. Um, and I decided that I don't want to put stuff out there that I'm, uh, that I don't love. Um, and I happen to have the time right now because I have COVID. It is a breakthrough infection. It is a breakthrough infection. I am fully vaccinated and I'm very grateful to be vaccinated because I can't imagine what it would have been like without uh, the, sh- the vaccine. Um, so please excuse me if my voice is a little bit hoarse. I'm fine. I have lost my sense of smell, but other than that, everything's pretty mild. Um, and anyway, just chilling in my room. I'm on day five. By the time this comes out, however, I will be good, thankfully. So, with that said, um, yeah, I, okay, I know I also, I, I'm I'm lucky in the sense that with these solo episodes, I do get the opportunity to re-record them at my own will, and I know that my guests are not allotted that, oh my god, I can't talk. And I know my guests are not allotted that luxury, um, so I am humbled yet again by their eloquence and clarity. Um, I can't say that I've had much of that recently, but we're going to give it another shot. Third time's the charm. Here we go. Okay. Like my previous solo episodes, I'd like to frame this one with a few stories with the overall theme being how to live. Um, That's a very broad sense of the term. These are not rules. But just a few things that um, I've read recently or heard recently that have reminded me what uh, it takes to be a little bit more grounded, to realign with your values, and um, try to lead a more present life. So that's how I'm framing my stories today. So Um, These past three months, since recording my last solo episode at least, I've constantly had to remind myself that it's all in due time. In many ways, I am not in a comparable place to my close friends, and that's just because I took a different path. And that's, you know, essentially what I'm trying to do with this podcast, is just remind myself and whoever listens that that is a perfectly acceptable thing to um, take a different path, and it, 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 it will be fine. Um, but sometimes I forget that, that it will be fine. Um, and what I have accumulated can't necessarily be reflected yet on my resume. Um, and that's kind of, that's been a kind of difficult gap to bridge. Um, so when I did hear this quote in June, it really struck me mostly because I would much rather that this be the truth of our humanity. 
Um, it's a quote from Andre DeShields when he was on the podcast 70 Over 70. I'm a big fan of that show. It's on Pineapple Street Media. I really encourage you to check it out. It's like um, 70 interviews with people over 70 years old, kind of like a opposite of 30 under 30 thing. So anyway, here it goes. Humanity and its evolution of all the species is on a treadmill that's moving fast. And were you to ask, where are you going? The answer might very well be, I don't know, but I need to get there quickly. Because we have convinced ourselves that life is short. I don't buy into that. Life is long. It appears short because we are in a hurry to accumulate things. That is not the meaning of life. So, obviously lovely, obviously ideal. Um, And when I heard this, I immediately thought of the job search, um, climbing a ladder, so to speak, you know. It does feel like a race. And I also heard this quote around the same time when I was taking my publishing course at Columbia. Um, And I, I mean, during one of my lectures at Columbia, we had an HR person tell us that, they stop looking at job applications after 72 hours of the job being posted. 72 hours. Like I, I can only pour myself into so many cups. So when I was unemployed and applying, I could pull off 72 hours. But once I started working in temporary jobs that I didn't really want, 72 hours was out the window. There's just not enough time in the day for everything. And I'm still trying to figure out how to set boundaries that allow me to feel like I'm not in a rush to accomplish everything right now. Um, But that's um, not in the nature of our kind of society. So um, I really loved that quote. And it really helped me reframe how I think about my time and what I want to do with my time and who I want to be around during that time. Um, not in a time is numbered, days are numbered kind of way, but just, um, that it's more than just about accumulating things or titles or what have you. Uh, but that was not an easy realization. It's not something that necessarily followed me through the summer, even, um, probably not even through that week. And a lot of that does have to do with the job search. Once I finished Columbia in July, I was much more active in my job search and faced this frustration that I had faced prior to Columbia as well, um, which I'm sure a lot of people around my age can can um, relate to perhaps, is being potentially overqualified for an internship but being considered underqualified for an entry-level job and what to do about that. I mean, a lot of internships don't even let you apply unless you're in school, but then entry-level wants three to five years experience. And so for people like myself who were uh, pivoting industries or, um, I don't know, starting new or whatever, it's been really challenging to find like a gap where where you can fit um, and where you can also make a livable wage as someone who is 25 and already established in their city, um, aware of their expenses, maybe ha- like with plenty of student debt, um, 
if you're anything like me or, you know, also <laughs> having to pay for health care soon if you're 26 or older and your employer doesn't cover that. So there are a lot of downsides to even taking an internship or applying to an internship. Um, but when you're considered underqualified for entry level, it's really difficult to, to, to navigate. And you do feel like you're in a rush to accumulate things, or at least that's how I felt. That's how I still feel a lot of the time. Um, this rush to, it sounds so stupid and corporate, but just to be in a place career-wise, financially, that kind of maybe matches your age a little bit better. Um, oh man, I know it all shakes out but it's stressful. And I definitely felt that urgency. So thank you, Andre DeShields, for sharing that piece of wisdom with us. That's why I love the podcast, 70 Over 70. It's it's a lot of good wisdom, a lot of good nuggets of wisdom in there. Um, So anyway, that will bring me to my second story, which takes place on September 9th. Um, I guess I kind of rushed through this whole summer bit, but this is not a diary entry. So not going to get too too into everything that happened this summer. Um, a lot of good things happened this summer, I will say, though. I went to the beach with my family, which was amazing. Um, my boyfriend moved back to New York. I got to see a childhood friend get married. Um, I directed my best friend's staged reading, and I started two new jobs. So a lot of stuff has, a lot of good stuff has happened, but I digress. We're not there yet. September 9th. Cameron's birthday, actually, my roommate. I had picked up a few part-time jobs because, as I mentioned, the job search was tough. It was getting tougher. I was interviewing, thankfully, which had not been the case before Columbia, despite my best efforts. Um, And I was babysitting. I was doing a few other things, still freelance writing, still ghostwriting, whatever. I picked up a job at a yoga studio. Um... And I was exhausted and also not making ends meet in the way I wanted to and also not finding the time to apply anymore. It was just like I felt like I was burning out quickly. And on Cameron's birthday on September 9th, she and Shannon, my other roommate, went to see a show. Um, I was babysitting. We were celebrating over the weekend, so don't feel too bad. And I met them after I was done babysitting at, at a bar in our neighborhood. Um, and I was talking to Cameron, um, just about everything. Cause I was feeling very, very down and I shared my frustration with a few sentiments. I was very frustrated that people were saying, um, oh, you'll be fine. You're X, Y, Z. You're, you're, you're great. You're whatever. You're, it'll be fine. You'll be fine. And I was getting frustrated because even though I know that that was, a nice thing to say and it was with good intentions um I wasn't fine and I was like well what do I do I know I'll be fine I actually firmly believe that I'll be fine but I'm not fine right now and what do I do about that and then the second sentiment that I was also frustrated with was you'll get the job when you least expect it well 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 (laughs) How can I least expect it if it's all consuming? Like when you need a job or, or the other one, 
oh, you'll get the job when you don't need the job. Like, well, that's convenient, but like, how about when you need it? Like all these like things that people say that are supposed to make you feel better, but really just make you feel a little bit worse sometimes. Um, it was getting frustrating and I am not a pessimist. I'm not. I'm actually a realist. I'm a realist who is hopeful, usually. However, I was having a really hard time dreaming of what I wanted. I was having a hard time, like, manifesting what I wanted or whatever. Um, I could only picture what I was afraid of happening. I could only picture my fears. And I was explaining this to Cameron. And wouldn't you know, the next day, I got a job offer, which... I hate to be that person because of how much that sentiment drove me crazy, Um, but that is exactly how it happened. And so with that, I want to share an article that I read in The Atlantic by Arthur C. Brooks. Um, I actually read it for my job and it surprised me. Um, It's called The Difference Between Hope and Optimism, and it's from their column, How to Build a Life. I'm going to read a bit of this, and I really hope that my voice isn't bothering too many people. Um, Okay. During the Vietnam War, a U.S. Navy vice admiral who was held for more than seven years in a North Vietnamese prison noticed a surprising trend among his fellow inmates. Some of them survived the appalling conditions, others didn't. Those who didn't tended to be the more optimistic of the group. As the Vice Admiral James Stockdale later told the business author Jim Collins, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas, and Christmas would come and Christmas would go, and Easter would come and Easter would go, and then Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again, and they died of a broken heart. Among my circle of acquaintances, I have noticed a less dire version of this pattern over the past year and a half as COVID-19 has slowly transformed a temporary inconvenience into a new way of life. Those who have struggled the most have been the optimists, always predicting a return to normalcy, only to be disappointed as the pandemic drags on. Some of the people who have done the best have been downright pessimistic about the outside world, but they've paid less attention to external circumstances and focused more on what they could do to persevere. There's a word for believing you can make things better without distorting reality. Not optimism, but hope. So, um, he goes on to say that just as Stockdale found and I found in a less dramatic way during the pandemic, optimism isn't the best way to improve your well-being. The research shows that hope is a far more potent force. We can all get better at it as we work toward recovering from the pandemic and benefit from our improved skill for the rest of our lives. And I was just kind of like stunned by that. I've never considered the differences between hope and optimism and it's it's more than semantics it's really the vocabulary that we use to describe ourselves and to think about the world around us it has a major impact on um our everyday lives our values our futures um and i i I still think after reading that that i am a realist and have struggled with hope sometimes. Um, and that is such a necessary portion to that equation. Um, 
And I have found that I have been able to increase that bit of hope by showing gratitude each day. Um, and not just like a thank you universe thing, like, like thinking about the things that I'm grateful for each day and writing them down. Um, I seriously don't do them every day. I actually rarely write them down, but I am saying this out loud as a promise to myself that I will be better about it because when I do think of the things that I'm grateful for, it really does change things. It really does. It changes my whole day. It changes my week. Um, I can make the choice to find hope without being unrealistic. And that's made all the difference. So I started my job, which is an internship, a marketing internship with a, um, a publishing adjacent kind of company. Um, and I also started working at Orange Theory, which has been amazing because as I mentioned um, in my episode with Emily Cherto, um, her episode's called Putting Pen to Paper, I realized, you know, we're talking about vocabulary here. We're talking about more than semantics kind of thing. Um, I realized I like the word occupation more than the word job because it really does describe like how you're occupying your time. Um, And I decided, especially if I was going to have a part-time position or whatever, um, I wanted to occupy that other part of my time um, with a new skill in a new place where I could potentially like be physically active and around people who um, are happy to be there. And I've found that in my Orange Theory community. So I'm very happy about that. Um, And shout out to Lauren Eshaw, who I also had on a few, actually like a year ago. Um, One of my best friends, she uh, got me into Orange Theory. So that's, that's all on her. Um, It, (laughs) yeah, it's been great. So with that said, the other story that I want to go to today um, is from about a month ago. This is later September, um, and I mentioned it briefly earlier. I had the opportunity to direct Cameron's show, Fine Young Assholes. Cameron is my roommate, one of my best friends, um, college peer. I also had her on. You see a theme here. Um <laughs> check out her episode too. So I was very um, honored that she asked me to direct it. Um, We staged it at Pete's Candy Store where she works and we had an amazing cast. It was my first theater endeavor since before the pandemic. Cameron was acting in the show and producing it and she funded the whole darn thing herself in the name of ethical art and work practices wouldn't you know she actually believes that artists should be paid for their time um i you know imagine that we put a listing up on backstage and after auditioning a lot of lovely humans we ended up with a wonderful cast and it made my job so much easier i mean we had one table read and three rehearsals so it was a very quick turnaround but everyone was so incredible and mostly off book which is wild um and it was it was a lot of fun. It was just a great reminder of what I love about theater and what I love about storytelling and why I've tried to find other ways to um, be a storyteller because I just, I love working with words. I love working with voice and I love understanding how and why people feel and act and behave the way they do. Um, So thank you, Cameron, if you're listening for 
bringing me on board with that. It was such a, it was just, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. And it was really special to be at Pete's doing it. Um, Pete's has like such a rich history of artists performing on that stage, including like Nora Jones, Lake Street Drive, um, our very own Dua Lipa, uh, my brother's favorite, Cameron's favorite, my cousin's favorite. Um, (laughs) So that was cool. That was super cool. And it's also, I don't know, something, Cameron found a great place to work because the people at Pete's, they're just good folks. And I'm so glad that it's in the neighborhood. Um, Well, that we're in the neighborhood. It was here before us. Um, So it was pretty special. And it was also special to be working together again, because as some of you might know, Cameron and I ran Wonderlust Theater Company in college. Um, as co-producers, co-founders, we wore so many hats. And so we really know how we work together, which made this endeavor so smooth. Um, and I'm just excited to do more. It was just, after the fact, it was just such a relief to know that I could do a lot of different things in a few different industries and not be like limited to um any one identity I guess I'll say it that way um because I do love theater and I know it's going to be in my life in some capacity always I just I'm not sure how that will evolve um okay so (laughs) oh I also got to see before I share this next passage um I also got to see a dear friend Noah Kaiserman perform at 54 below a a whole night of his work um I also had him on the on the podcast he was this first second he was the second wow how could I say first my dad was the first he was the second episode um that was a long time ago it feels like now but that was also such a blast. So getting to see live theater again, I also just saw my first Broadway show since pre-pandemic. Um, getting to see live theater again, it just, it hits different. It's, it's such an amazing reminder um, of how special and how influential and transformative theater can be. So I'm still, I'm still a fan. I'm still in that world. One foot in. And we'll see. Um, so with that, I want to share actually two passages. The first one is from the Atlantic as well, and it's called How Not to Be Your Own Worst Enemy. And it's also from the column How to Build a Life. And it's a conversation between Arthur C. Brooks and Dr. Shefali. Um, and in it, right, well, I guess I'll just read it. This is from Arthur C. Brooks talking. People often ask this question, how do I find myself? And for a long time, I didn't really understand the nature of that question because, I mean, find yourself, look in the mirror. But then I realized that people tend to be deeply alienated from who they consider themselves actually to be. And the reason is because of something that is defined in the psychological literature as self-objectification. Self-objectification is just another form of objectifying a person. It's just that the objectifier and the objectifiee are the same person. If you ask yourself, how do I find myself? You're basically saying, I don't know who I am. 
And the reason you don't know who you are probably is because you have reduced yourself to one characteristic, to one trait, to one quality that you want to be more than anything else. You objectified yourself. Like, okay, damn. I was like, I read that. I also read this one for work. And I was like, wow, I don't want to objectify myself. Like, let's let's not do that, <laughs> you know? Um, so that was crazy. And I suppose this isn't like brand new information, but you know when sometimes people just frame it in a certain way and it just hits you in the face and you're like, oh, I get it now. Um, I felt like that was that moment for me. And in tandem with this other quote that I want to share, I feel like it really drives home um, kind of the way that I have dealt with this identity crisis in my career pivot um, so far. And this quote is from Stephen Fry, and a friend actually sent it to me a few months ago um, and said that it reminded her of me, which was very kind, um, but it also reminds me of a lot of other people in my life. So I wanted to share it. Oscar Wilde said that if you know what you want to be, then you inevitably become it. That is your punishment. But if you never know, then you can be anything. There is a truth to that. We are not nouns, we are verbs. I am not a thing, an actor, a writer. I am a person who does things. I write, I act, and I never know what I'm going to do next. I think you can be imprisoned if you think of yourself as a noun. So just another great one um, that I think at least kind of explains um, this point in time for me and how I want to live my life, how I want to lead going forward. Um, and with that, I'll end on something that I actually wrote myself, which I did back in June. So we're coming full circle here. Um, I wrote it back in June, actually at Emily Cherto's journaling class. So this was an in-person class and it was a, like a free form writing assignment, um, just that we did like in front of each other right there. Um, and the assignment without, you know, giving too much away, I highly encourage you to take Emily's writing class, uh, journaling class, if she is still doing it right now or in the future when she chooses to. Um, I don't want to give away all her secrets, but this one was just about kind of writing your how to live, advice to yourself about how to live um, based, you know, whatever you're feeling in that moment. I could rewrite this today and a lot of it would probably be true and the same, but maybe some other things would come up. Um, but this was my how to live for how Fiona was in June. <laughs> Sleep when you're tired. I learned that from my two favorite people. Don't worry too deeply. You'll feel the gray hairs growing prematurely. Use moisturizer and sunscreen. Your skin is your largest organ and it's important to protect it. Sing, even if you don't think you're ready, even if you're tired, even if you're hoarse. Dance when the music speaks to you. Let it fill your soul and watch as it pours over through your heart by way of your limbs. If someone tells you no, that's okay. Try to understand why people act the way they do, but don't let yourself get too perplexed by it. Some things you're better off not knowing. You might always debate, is knowledge power or is ignorance bliss? It can change with the seasons. Thanks, Orwell. Say I love you when you can but even when you mean it and don't want to say it. 
there will be plenty of things that you don't want to do. Most of those things will help with self-improvement, so do them. Be ready when your moment calls. There will be more than one chance, but when the phone rings, you want to be ready to pick it up. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. Take pause when you need to. You gain nothing by running yourself into the ground. Ask questions about the world, about people's thoughts, feelings, lives, perspectives. Take it in. You don't always need to respond with more than a thank you. Learn your own opinions. Be open to changing them when you gather new information. Treat others with respect. Hold your friends close and keep your connections alive and well. We need each other. We need love, support, and goodness always. Um, so that's that was my how to live. Um, and I stand by most of it. And maybe I will rewrite it just to see what else comes to mind. Um, and I encourage you to as well if you think that's something that appeals to you. Um, with that said, I'm going to wrap up this solo episode. I'm so glad I did re-record it because it's a lot more cohesive, I think, than the other two I tried. Um, and thank you so much for listening and bearing with me. Um, hopefully once I am out of quarantine, I'll have more episodes to come. Um, I have a lot of people that I would love to talk to. So stay tuned. Follow the Instagram account at Thoughtful Intentions Podcast and keep an eye out for more. This has been Fiona Winch on Thoughtful Intentions.